0: were ransomed with blood you are born again to an inheritance more precious than gold you were bought with a price blessed be god the father of our lord jesus christ who has done this because of his great mercy The worst thing that could happen to St. Paul Lutheran Church is that we would be successful and forget about mercy. The worst thing that could happen is that people could come here and love the music, enjoy the entertaining guy in the pulpit, feel great about all the conversation that we're having, and think that had something to do with us. What's made St. Paul special for all of you who have discovered that has been the centrality of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord, given for us to eat and drink in the miracle of his Holy Supper, recognized in the powerful resurrecting promise of his holy baptism, and with a certainty that the inspired and without error words of the Bible are there to make you wise. That means unto salvation, that means not living for this life, but fully aware that you are born again to the next one. So again, I've said it several times now, moving into this week, we're going to, in the next two weeks, talk about money, but who cares? It's about paying Caesar. It's about paying the bills. It's about making sure the stuff stays up around us, it's about put, putting coffee in the pot in the back. At the end of the day, it's about nothing. What matters most is you knowing that Jesus Christ is your God. He's your king. He's your Lord. That doesn't mean fear him and run. It means fear him and run to him. Because with all the other things to fear in this world, he is here to protect you, to guide you, to hold you. And it may seem trite, but it's true, to love you. You are special to him. That's what set apart means, special to him. He desires you from before the foundation of the world, from before the heavens were created. He knew your name. He knew your need. And he intended to die on that cross for you so that your own rebellion against him inherited from your fathers would not stand against you on the day of his justice. But that as the God who both justifies the ungodly and is a God of justice, he would see you reckoned righteous on that day. No, I've already taken too much time away from Peter directly. I really want to dig through this text specifically today, beginning on page 1014 of your Pew Bible. But the point of it, again, is to see how whatever we talk about, when it has to do with this life, and truly, in this life right now, there's not much that isn't going up in value more than gold and silver. Check it out. I mean, they're holding steady at least while the dollar is tanking. Gold and silver are valuable things. And yet Peter's going to be very clear. No, they're not. Not even close. What is valuable is the Holy Spirit inspired trust you have in Jesus to be your God through the madness and the mess. That's what's valuable. That's what's eternal. That's what will never perish or pass away. Yeah. We start again on page one thousand and fourteen with this just marvelous praise, blessing here, right? By blessing God, by the way, we're not giving God something, right? We can't we can't bless Him to make Him more blessed. What we're doing is we're speaking a good word about Him that is true. So He has done something; it is good. We say, "Blessed be Him," meaning, look what He did. And he's going to tell us what He did afterwards, but it starts, "Blessed be." the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, acknowledging that the Father is God, and that even as Jesus as a man must recognize that, huh? Jesus is God, the Son of God, but as the Son of God made man, he calls the Father his God on more than one occasion, inviting you to believe the Father is your God too. Blessed be this God who made all things, the imminent, unapproachable, piercing light of eternity. Blessed be him in Jesus Christ now for you. Because, now why is he blessed? According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. That sentence doesn't end there, but we'll just take it a piece at a time. It's it's quite a run-on sentence for you grammarians out there that he starts out with here. But uh, according to his great mercy. Just don't go past mercy too fast. God loves to love it is better to give than to receive jesus said and he does not mean that he needs you to give more he means he wants you to understand who he is he prefers to give that's who he is and so even when we turn our backs on him and do all manner of confusing and wicked things what does he desire more well to give salvation To prevent us from running off into evil, to to stop us in our tracks, not to punish us, but to return us to himself. And that position of mercy, that, that first step of love, that is the most imperative thing to know about who God is. And Jesus is the proof of this. He's the proof of this in your life, in your reality, because of what he has done again in a moment with the resurrection. But according to this great mercy, then, he has caused us to be born again. So all of us are born of our mother and our father. Our bodies, our flesh are a part of them who came before us. And so also our souls, our spirit inherits from them spiritual death. Inherits for them incompetence, incompleteness, brokenness, flawedness, recklessness, and rebelliousness. But the Holy Spirit, through He is risen, Alleluia, which you'll say in a moment. The Holy Spirit, through that good news, changes us, wakens us, gives us new birth. Huh? So that we're not only born of father and mother, but born of God. That is faith alone. Understand that then. Your trust in the mercy of Jesus is what it means to be born again. No one else knows this. Other religions don't believe this. Even those that like mercy and kindness and they want to talk about how nice they are. They do not have the born again Holy Spirit to know the mercy of God in Jesus. They don't have it. And in that way, they always must fall back on themselves. They always must look upon their own works as what makes them righteous. Whereas you don't have to do that. You just get to look at the cross and see the God who will do anything to make sure you don't end up alone at the end of the world. Born again to a living hope. Uh, So the faith you have is a hope. It's looking forward to something. It's knowledge of what happened in the past. It's going to say that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But that then, the resurrection in the past that Jesus achieved, gives you a living hope of the resurrection of you, which is yet to come. You want another difference between us and all the other religions. Uh, They don't believe in a resurrection. So the Buddhist, for example, he likes to talk about loving kindness. But he still believes it's up to him to truly achieve that in himself. And he certainly doesn't believe once he dies, he'll come back into that body ever again. Why would he do that? He's going to go off to nirvana and become spiritually perfect. All based upon his efforts. He's a very nice guy. He's probably a great neighbor. But he's without the born-again reality of the living hope that the resurrection of Jesus is salvation for all mankind. And amazingly, you might talk to one, you find out how stubbornly he resists that idea. Even to the point where where he despises the idea and says, how could you believe such a thing? It's so self-righteous of you. It's all upside down. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the singular historical fact that changes the world. What makes Christianity unique? Jesus. He's not dead anymore. It happened. How do you know that, Pastor Fisk? Well, how do you know anything? You know, because someone told you, you experienced it yourself. And so far as it goes, I've had both those realities happen to me. I've been told again and again that Jesus is risen from the dead. I've studied the witnesses as we've got them in history. That all seems pretty good. And I'll tell you what, without that knowledge, I don't know what I'd do. I, I, I do know who I'd be, and you wouldn't like him. And I'm glad not to be that guy. Even as I walk with him every day, see him have to die to his own hopes and dreams, his own desires, seeing that have to be put down by what the word of God calls me to repent of. I am so grateful to know that on that last day, I've been given the promise that Jesus is risen. He is risen. I've been given the promise that I am blood bought, bought with a price, not my own. I don't know how I get through every day without that. You've been born again to a living hope, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable. That inheritance is the resurrection. Uh, that is Jesus' own body right now, ascended to heaven, imperishable, never to die again. You've been born again to inherit his body on the last day. He's given you the spirit now to believe this as a deposit. Yeah, But that living hope again is that you have something far better than a million bucks from Uncle Tom. Far better than that, you've got a body that will never die from Jesus. And it's coming. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you at the right hand of the Father. He's actually sitting there, holding on to the human body that he has. It's pierced pierced with scars and everything, holding on to it for you. You've been born again to hope in that reality. You who then, verse 5, by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So that the spirit now guards this deposit, this reality, this hope by faith. I've mentioned it several times already, by faith alone. It's helpful, I think, to think of faith as the word trust. It makes it a little easier. Faith in modern America is sort of like a spiritual power of like optimistic, positive thinking. right? That's, that's not what this means. Uh, it means to trust so as when hopefully your spouse or your best friend tells you i'm going to the store you wouldn't be like no you're not i don't believe you Uh, you would trust them so also you now are given to trust that god is for you and not against you and that all things that happen in this life are only moving you toward this inheritance which is coming more precious than anything else you could get yeah Ready to be revealed in the last time, the very last day when it comes. Verse 6, in this, this hope, this faith, you rejoice. Helpful for me to always remember that rejoice isn't about happy, happy, joy, joy. Rejoice is about being comforted in what you know to be true. Uh, It's kind of like, if I can give you a little bit of a memory. Uh, When I was young, uh, I had a couple of very severe allergic reactions. I remember them vividly. My whole body turned completely like purple. Like I didn't swell. I just turned purple. And I don't know if it was hay fever, grass seed, or what it was. I was usually outside playing when this happened. And and I would have to get put into a bathtub and just sit there and, and sit in the water because it's so badly. And I'd be shaking a little bit. And I don't remember any of that feeling, though. I remember what it looked like in the mirror, but I don't remember what that felt like. What I remember feeling is after I got out of the bathtub and was sitting on my bed with a towel wrapped around me and it had just stopped hurting quite so much. It was still there, but not as much. And there was this small lift where I suddenly didn't feel as bad as I could. That's kind of what joy is like right now. I'm pretty sure in paradise, joy will be a bit better than this, yeah? But right now, joy is like that. You're in a moment where you could feel horrible and you don't quite because you know Jesus. And so that comfort lifts just a touch. It's tied to hope. It's tied to faith. In these, then, you rejoice, right? Though now for a little while, it's in the joy. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So walking through this barren wasteland, the comfort is in the midst of trial. It's not about victory and success and overcoming all the time as the world would understand it. Although certainly we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's all about, next verse, the testing of your faith. To establish that your faith is strong. Not as if you're going to do that, by the way. See this as a promise. He's going to strengthen your faith. How? By sending you suffering and his word at the same time, so that your hope and comfort is in him. And you'll find that he is sufficient because he's sworn that's what he's going to do to you. You're born again. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. So so it is all about making certain that your trust in him as your God is going to last for all eternity. And you'll see this at the day of resurrection. And of course, then this is more precious than gold. Now, uh, interesting to me, gold... normally you do put it in fire to actually purify it not to to have it perish but it is possible for a fire to burn so hot that it that would totally destroy like your gold coins they'd be be lost in your house fire or what have you if that were to happen his point then i don't think though is about human-made fires i think he's talking about hell he's talking about the final day That the gold on the final day it will be gone like totally the element will be gone so whatever value it may hold now in comparison to the dollar or what have you, it's, it's, it's nothing compared to your inheritance of a new body that will last in the life of the world to come for all eternity. Let's jump ahead to verse 13. It says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. I really like the more, more literal translation here. Uh, the King James picks it up. Gird up your loins. Uh, and it said, I mean, if you can follow it, gird up the loins of your mind. How's that metaphor work out for you? Well, girding up your loins, by the way, meant strapping your, your robe. So I'm I'm in a robe right now, right? If I were to have to go to a fight right now, it'd be kind of tough. Running would not be easy. So you, you hike up and you tie a knot. So you can go run and fight, right? That's girding up your loins. I didn't do it very well, but you get the idea. So uh, gird up the loins of your mind, he says, though. Well, that implies there's going to be a fight. And you know there's a fight for your mind right now. You know that the media has everything to do with this, that the the mass mind, the hive mind of our country and our world is trying to sway us to do whatever it wants us to do. And if you're not going to guard your inner life, it's going to be taken over. It's going to be programmed. So gird yourself up for that. Be ready for the fight to be then sober-minded, it says, right? Be sober-minded. Don't be like a man who is drunk. Just uh, just take whatever they give me and I'll believe whatever they tell me to say. Be sober-minded. Think as though you're in the day ready for a fight. Set your hope. How's this for sober-mindedness? Hope fully on the grace, that's the mercy, that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So again, to gird up your mind, to be ready for the fight, to be sober-minded is to see the grace of your God. And to set your hope on that grace. Let nothing shake you. Jesus is for you, not against you. It says in verse 14 as obedient children, that word obedient has to do with hearing, as those who hear what the Father says. It's not about a bullet point list of doing it all right in exactly the right way. It's about being those who are in the space where you can hear what God has said to you. As those who hear God, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Notice that your own body and your own mind are not naturally right. Your emotions are good at lying to you. So know that. Know that ahead of time. And prepare yourself via knowledge of the word of God to have to say no to yourself sometimes. Just because you feel this way or that way doesn't make it good. In fact, I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to know this. Most people just feel whatever they want to feel. And then they go and they do whatever they want to do. And afterwards, they make up excuses for it. So, well, let's not be like that since you don't have to be anymore. Since the Holy Spirit's regeneration of you includes self-control, you can gird up your mind to see ahead of time what good and evil are. And when you're confronted with evil, decide, no, I won't do it. I won't do it. And again, if I might, please understand how hoarding up greedy goods in the last days for yourself would be evil. Failing to see the need of those around you, Failing to see the value of your church as a place that will outlast you, that will be here for generations beyond you, and to keep all for yourself, that would be evil. So gird yourself up for that fight. Recognize that your spirit is always going to want more for you than for others. And teach yourself by means of the word of God to be gracious to others. All because, of course, you know he is to you. Regardless, he is to you. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Notice again, it's former ignorance. What you used to be, what you were born to be, bad. Don't be conformed to it. Fight back. Are you going to be perfect? No. Are you going to find out you don't fight back good enough? Yes. So stop living under the law. Live under grace and fight. Live under grace and fight. As he who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, he quotes the Old Testament, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let me read that a different way. As he who called you is set apart, you also be set apart in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be set apart, for I am set apart. God himself is set apart from the world. He is not of the world, he made the world. There is no world in God. Uh, and, and God doesn't exist in the world as if it's his body or some nonsense paganism like that. He is truly, above all things, set apart from us. And thus, he now, seeing the world in its sin, wanting to divorce you from that sin, that means forgive you, wanting to pull you out of that evil, he is setting you apart with his own set-apartness, binding you to himself in Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus is man. So to be in Jesus is not only to be made into perfect men and women, it is to be made one with God. This is a great mystery. And it is truly holiness saving you. You don't sanctify yourself. You can't do it. But by being near to Jesus, you're sanctified. Straight up. It's again the power of the Lord's Supper. Uh, Imagine this for one moment. I'm going to stand up here in a few moments. I'm going to speak the words of institution our Lord gave us about this meal. And at that Time somehow, by great mystery and power, that bread's going to be the body of Jesus, which is also in heaven. That blood or that wine's going to be the blood of Jesus, which is also in heaven. And for like 15 seconds, I'm going to be more holy than you because I'm only two feet away and you're like 15 or 30 feet away. You follow that? I'll be closer to the holiness. And so I'll be more holy. Then it's going to go in me. No, I really am more holy than you. But in a few more moments, guess what? He's going to descend to go into you. And we all leave with the holiness, the set-apartness of Jesus, marking us as his own, claiming us as his body, fed with his body to be his body, and so rightly called the body of Christ, the church, holy and without blemish in him. Verse 17, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds... Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. I think the time of your exile is the most important phrase there. To realize you're exiled right now. You're going to go home to a tent. I know it looks like a house. It's a tent. It's temporary. It won't last. You're exiled there. You're you're spending out the last of your days there. But it's not where you're going to be forever. So remember that. And conduct yourself with, now fear there means holy fear. What that really means is without fearing men. The fear of God is about not fearing men. It's about not fearing this age. So conduct yourselves in this exile as if it's an exile. And with a recognition that what's coming is so much more than that. Since God is going to judge the living and the dead and cast all of the evil into eternal flames. Well, walk like you believe that. It doesn't mean be perfect. It doesn't mean you're never going to find yourself sinning. It means you're going to walk like you believe Jesus is your Savior. Believe it. Huh? Verse 18, knowing you were ransomed, right? Not you might be ransomed, not you could be ransomed. You were. You're bought with the price. You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. And then again, not with your bank account, not with anything you can trade goods for. Uh, not with the market, not with commodities, not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus spilled upon the earth from lashes and wounds, all taken in order for God to pour out his wrath against you onto Jesus, so that God would have no more wrath against you, but would see you only with the eyes of his mercy. Jesus being then a lamb without spot or blemish and atoning sacrifice, a payment. Uh, verse 20 tells us that this was known before God made made the world, a great mystery. How did God know that he was gonna make a good world that would fall and he would need to save it without actually being the author of evil? And if you follow that, it's, it's, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. I don't know how God knew that. God knew that. God did that. God saw beforehand that Christ must be crucified. And he decided to make you anyway. That's how much you mean to him. It's how important you are to him. You individually and you together. And you together not just being here. But you, the church, all Christians who will believe and have believed throughout the whole world. You mean that much to him. That he knew that making us, we would fight back. And he would then need to die to save us. Entering all of the pain and the suffering to absorb it in himself. He knew. He did it anyway. Yeah. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Notice the last times began with the coming of Jesus. It's been a long last times. It's not slow as God counts slowness though. He was made manifest for the sake of you. You who, verse 21, through him are believers in God. Now that's important. You can't believe in God without jesus you can run into people who say they do there's all sorts of people who say i believe in god i just don't think jesus is the son of god they say that you have to understand that they are not believing in the true god though they're believing in a a made-up idea a figment of their imagination the only way to believe in god is to look on the face of jesus christ The only way to believe in the true God is to accept what he has said. So when he comes in the flesh and says, I'm him, and you say, I don't think so. I love this other God. Well, then you love this other God. You don't love God the Father who begot the Son to save. Yeah. So, But now you, Christians, you do. You believe in the true God, even though you have all sorts of misinformation in your flesh about him. You're always going to lie to yourself about God. You're always going to try to trick yourself about God. That's why the, the Bible is so valuable. It's a curve. It pushes you back. It keeps you from running off the rails. You do, because of Jesus alone, because of your baptism, which washes you into him, you do believe in the true God. So when you get mad and you say, why God? You actually say it to the true God. <laughs> That's good. That's a true prayer. And he hears you. He will answer you in the name of Jesus, which is why? To learn to pray the Psalms in his name and stop to saying why, God? But to say exactly what the Psalms say, how long, O Lord? Why do you let my enemy have victory over me, O Lord? And to say what God has actually said when you're in those moments, in the name of Jesus, is great power. To, to believe in God is great power. So again, gird up your mind, grab it. As we talk about making a devotional commitment this year, get into that Psalter. I honestly cannot imagine what this place would be like if we were all together praying the Psalms every single day. And if we, I mean, men, if you all join the Sons of Solomon, not, you do have to come Saturday nights, although you're welcome. But you all pray those Sons of Solomon prayers every single day. Do that for year. I cannot imagine what that would do to us. I know it would do amazing things. I've seen what it does to people's lives when they open the Psalter. And ladies, the Daughters of Wisdom prayers, same way. I mean, You're going to have to get past Proverbs 31, and that alone will strengthen your faith tremendously. Now, Talk to me about that if you want to know what I mean by that. Okay, so again, you are believers in God. That's the point there. God who, notice the emphasis on the resurrection, can't get away from it, raised Jesus from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. How do you have faith and hope in God? Through the resurrection of Jesus. He's the only one who did it. Muhammad didn't do it. Buddha didn't do it. No, Vishnu didn't do it. Horus didn't do it. Nobody else actually did it. There's all sorts of stories about resurrections. You can find ancient stories about resurrections, but none of them are history. Under Pontius Pilate, that's history. He rose from the dead. So verse 22, having purified your souls, that's already happened, already done, for obedience to the truth. Again, that's to hear the truth. For a sincere brotherly love, notice that the result of our faith is love for each other, He exhorts us now. Since God's gonna do that, he's gonna make you love each other. Well then do it, love one another earnestly from a pure heart Wait, i have to purify my heart no you're being promised a pure heart so walk with that integrity know that you're forgiven seek the good of your neighbor because verse 23 you have been born again there it is again yeah born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable that's jesus through the living and abiding word of god and this quote from isaiah so beautiful all flesh is like grass all its glory like the flower of the grass The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news. He is risen. That means you are blood bought. In the name of Jesus. Amen.